barroom made in tight. Hello, welcome back to the show. We're in the last three weeks of this podcast series centered on Kauai. Kauai has a rich surf history, but there's also an aura of mystery. And in surf media, this has always been perpetuated intentionally with the idea that it's a special place and there's no real way to convey the experience of Kauai through photos or videos or stories. And rather than selfishly exploit that and regurgitate a version that perhaps only 5% represents the splendor of the place, maybe we just leave this one alone. Maybe we let the people who live there enjoy it and keep a lower profile. Us tourists will come and visit when possible, but maybe not boast about it, and certainly not photograph and publish it the way that we would if we visited the North Shore of Oahu. Knowing this, I felt a real lack of confidence going there to conduct this series of interviews. There was an A-list of these mythic figures that of course I would love to have conversations with, but I really didn't think that I'd uh, get the opportunity to pull it off. Most of them live fairly private lives, Who knows if they listen to podcasts, they probably have no idea who I am and what my intentions are. Most of them don't maintain social media presence, so my other method of cold messaging potential guests is kind of moot. Amazingly, once I got on island, a small series of serendipitous events transpired, some of which they were simple harvesting of previous seeds that I had planted, San Diego board builder Josh Hall happened to be there at the same time, and he introduced me to his friend, Jimmy Rodello, who is a local who's lived there his whole life. He's also, thankfully, a longtime podcast listener and fan. So he understood the value of these podcast conversations, and he also knew who would be a good fit for the podcast and willing to engage with me. Jamie Dilberg, the co-owner and co-founder of Kauai retailer, the Aloha Exchange, was allowing me to stay in his guest house. And so he too began sending text messages on my behalf to friends to gauge their interest in being on the podcast. And all of this is to say that when I landed on Kauai, I thought that it would be a long shot to sit down and have a conversation with today's guest. Terry Chung is a deeply respected board builder and surfer, quietly living on Kauai and building boards for very serious waves. I don't remember ever seeing him do an interview with Surf Media, and I've certainly never seen him self-promote. He simply centers his life around being at the exact right spot when the waves are big and perfect. So when the waves aren't big and perfect, he's tuning his body, he's tuning his boards, and he's building boards for close friends who will be in the water with him when the waves do get big and perfect. Those friends include, but aren't limited to, Jeff Hackman and Laird Hamilton. So, after Jamie and Jimmy sent a few introductory texts to Terry, and Jeff Hackman had a positive experience with me during our podcast chat, Terry finally agreed to this conversation. It would take place on the morning of Sunday, March 15th, the day before I flew home to California, but the time would have to be confirmed at the last minute, dependent on the surf. So I woke up that Sunday morning and I sent Terry a text as I left Jamie's property at 8 a.m. in Kaloa, headed north towards Terry's property in Kilauea. 
30 minutes later, while I was on the road, Terry finally responded, telling me that he had just gotten out of the water and he was looking forward to meeting me. So, this conversation was recorded on Terry's lanai overlooking his expansive yard, surrounded by fruit trees and a few balsas interspersed that will eventually become surfboards. Terry and his wife were gracious hosts, and I'm grateful for this experience. So, without further ado, my name is David Scales for Surf Splendor, and here's my conversation with Hawaii's Terry Chung. Asking, what's it like surfing with your wife? Oh, surfing with my wife's a good thing. You Is know? it? Yeah, because most relationships, the other, you know, like your wife or your girlfriend wouldn't really uh, be so flexible with your surfing lifestyle. <laughs> but you can't ever get away from her either, you know? Like some guys use that as time away. Yeah, but she's at a different level from me. Okay. So she knows where I'm at, and I know where she's at. <laughs> is she just um, longboarding, or does she get on the foil uh, or stand up? She's just regular uh, longboard and SUP surfing. Gotcha. Yeah. It's a rarity. You don't see a lot of guys. I mean, maybe around here you do, but at home in California, you never see husband and wife surfing couples. Really? Hardly But she's slowed down a little bit. She's getting older, and then yeah. her job's, you know, consuming her a lot of energy and time yeah yeah um let's go back to your timeline you grew up on oahu yeah i grew up on oahu whereabouts uh, Aina Haina. Um, that's between cocoa head diamond head moana lua bay and there's all these valleys from the from the shore up so there's different mm -hmm. districts or different neighborhoods so i was from Aina Haina valley what'd your parents do uh, my mom was um, like an accountant at the UH. My dad was, uh, what do you call it? He was a civilian. He wasn't in the, in the military, but he was a civilian working for the Air Force, Hickam Air Force Base. Doing what sort of stuff? Um, repairing airplanes. Oh, okay. Like mechanic type? Yeah, mechanic stuff. Interesting. My dad's uh, Chinese Hawaiian. My mom's pure Chinese. Okay. Yeah. How many generations do you go back? God, I don't know. I haven't studied that. My dad was trying to find out his genealogy when he was alive, but uh, what we found out was a little bit was from Hanalei. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, how were you introduced to surfing? Or do you remember being introduced to it? Mm. Well, I always think back um, when I didn't surf, and it was my birthday. And my dad would go to the Honolulu Library and rent the film, the, the 16 millimeter films from the library. And it was all like Greg Knoll guys surfing Waimea and Sunset Beach, you know. And then he'd, we'd have my birthday party and then everybody would, okay, we're going to watch a movie. And it was surf movies. So that was kind of an introductory right there. And then I think about it, it's like big waves. So we were actually watching big waves, you know. And then every sophomore, he'd cruise up to the North Shore and just watch the guys surfing Sunset and Waimea. So you could rent like the 16 millimeter reel, yeah. bring it home, put it on the projector, and yeah, fascinating. 
Yeah. Do you remember which films they were? Or were they just footage of surfing? Ah, God, it was some old footage. I don't remember. I was young. I just remember Greg Nolan his uh, black and white shorts and riding big waves. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Um, so was your dad a surfer? No. He was just fascinated with... I just That was part of Hawaii, I guess, and he realized it, you know. And yeah. my mom surfed a little when she was younger. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. But they, they didn't surf. My dad didn't surf. My mom didn't surf anymore by the time they had us, you know, our family. So what was your first introduction to getting in the water and getting on a board? Mm, I used to go with the neighbors, and we used to have these styrofoam uh, rocket bodyboard-like things, and the, guy, the guy's father would take us to Bellows, Bellows Field um, on the East Shore, and uh, we'd catch waves with the thing and just lie down. You know, you go out and catch the wave and go straight and then just go all the way to the beach. Mm -hmm. And then just that sensation was real cool because you'd be lying down on the board and everything would be just going by you. All the water would be going by you, you know. So that was kind of like a small introductory to surfing waves, you know. Yeah. And then uh, then I wanted to learn how to surf, regular surf. So my dad taught me how to, he took me to surf Waikiki. Do you remember the first got, first board? Got my first board. This is pretty pretty cool because the neighbors were Hawaiian people, and in their in their garage they had three big like ten foot, eleven foot balsa boards, and they were like uh, hollow boards. They had like bulkheads in them, hmm. and then layered. You know, it was almost like an airplane wing chamber. Yeah. Not really chamber. I say like an airplane, how an airplane wing is built. Okay. You know how it has like bulkheads mm -hmm. and then the, the skin goes over that. Yeah. So we asked the neighbors what they're going to do with it. They were just hanging in the garage. So the guys let us buy one for like 50 bucks, which Whoa. was kind of high back then. Was it? Yeah. But it was this balsa board. Yeah. Yeah. And then I rode that for a while and it was too long and too gunny, you know. So then uh, we went to Waikiki and bought like a regular long board after that. But I had both boards. I used the, the wooden board until the wooden board dinged and then filled it with water and it just rotted and bent in half. Mm. And that was my lesson about how uh, wood, you know, wood reacted with water and the ding damaging the board and all that bit. Right. And then uh, I had the other long board and I learned how to surf on that. And then after a few years went by, that era, the longboard era, turned into the mini tanker, mini gun era where the boards are getting smaller. So what we did, we stripped all the longboards, we stripped boards and um, shaped them and glassed them. So right there, I, I learned how to sh shape boards a little, a little and play with the resin and stuff and glass boards. Right. So that was my introduction to that my education on that because there's no education for that kind of stuff right you know we're, so were you like a teenager at the time mm, barely oh wow yeah maybe 10 or 11 yeah, 12 Get, getting to the teens yeah okay um did you ever have a real job during like did you get a real job during that era or mm, i was going to school okay. i went to school elementary school high school 
and I quit school at um, 11th grade and my dad said I gotta work so, so that's when I had to work but I had I stayed at home and worked so then I go oh if I'm staying home and working paying rent I gotta live with these guys and they're my parents yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I might as well go someplace and do the same thing without them you know breathing down my neck so totally so then I moved to Kauai okay why Kauai uh, we had an experience um, uh, it was like 68 or 69 we came and we just went surfing over here and we just got off the plane and hitchhiked uh, Poipu South Shore and we surfed over there and then the waves went down and we hitchhiked and we came up here and camped up here and it was just all country there was like no regulations you just could have your sleeping bag your board and just where when it gets dark just go to sleep on the side of the road or at the beach yeah who were you traveling with uh one of my high school friends okay yeah um how did you even know where to go to find waves uh, it was kind of well known pakalas i mean oh actually our friend from a while who had grandparents living in poipu so he would come every time in uh in the summer visit them and go back okay and then he told us about uh poipu like um was that pk's centers acid drop and then pakalas pakalas was a real well-known surf break you know probably in the early 60s had you seen magazine images of it or was it all just word of mouth it was word of mouth back then yeah yeah it was in what about 68 69 then i moved here in 71 okay yeah um why'd you drop out of high school in 11th grade uh my brain wasn't focused for school we were all we wanted to do was surf and get stoned uh smoke pot and forget about education <laughs> it's funny as i've spoken to people on island about that era the adults were seemed to be okay with that and even the educators seemed to be okay with that you know it seemed to be a lot less regimented you know um well my, my parents weren't too happy they weren't about that you know my dad well, my, my dad probably regretted he took me surfing oh really i think so what did he want from you or he wanted of you me to, to he wanted me to be like my son the uh, an architect doctor at architect or a cali my other son's he's a stockbroker you know yeah and he wanted me to be like them because you know as i raised our kids they learned how to surf eventually and then the surf was good and i watch how they react i go they don't even care about the surf they're going to go to school they don't they i got to go to school they just go to school no matter how good the surf was where i was like if the surf was good my choice would be to go surf and not go to school yeah <laughs> did your you and your did your father ever um accept the lifestyle that you chose uh not not uh, after a while i mean eventually if he sees after, your success after i left and came here on my own had a job had a house had a car had all my stuff then i invited them to stay with me and then they realized like wow you know good he figured it himself out you know good and then since I left, I didn't go to college. 
they didn't spend all this other extra money on me going to college, they could afford to put a uh, down payment on our property here. Okay. Good. So when you landed on Kauai, what'd you do for work? Uh, at first, never worked. Um, just get food stamps, real hippie life down in Hyena camp out at the beach to surf and then how was that lifestyle by the way uh, it was nice for the moment you know for the first year year and a half and then after a while my other friend had a job wait I got a job at uh, end of the road as a I, I skipped being a dishwasher I, I, I went right to being a prep cook then um, I worked there for a while that was kind of, I would work in the evening. It was a restaurant open in the evening. And um, we'd surf in the morning and go to work and eat eat, eat our food there. Mm -hmm. And then when I quit that job, then I collected food stamps off of the, the state, you know, all the, the welfare kind of level there. And then I paid rent I, I lived in this taro shack and paid rent by pulling taro so that that was covered the rent was covered but I had to pay uh, pull taro twice a week um, there's a part of me that really fantasizes or like glamorizes that lifestyle like I could see the the joy and the simplicity in that where you can kind of live off the land here it seems we were yeah there's fish obviously there's fruit in the trees and yeah. um if you if your only ambitions are to surf and just be healthy and happy then you can do that but i suppose at a certain point you know you want to get married and have yeah. kids and well i got a girlfriend and you know do all the comforts you. just weren't there so i had to get a, a house to stay in and pay the rent right kind of a job a fair job at princeville what was that uh bellman at princeville there oh okay so i had medical you know all the benefits of working at the hotel gotcha um when did you get reintroduced to board building and first of all what was access to materials like mm. uh, a little little hard to get materials i mean you buy them at the hardware store but from when i was from that era when i made stripped the blanks and made boards I would make a board or two all the way till when we came here. I would I would still be able to make a board or two, but when we got here, I had to buy a a gun out of the surf shop, like a real big wave gun, you know, because we needed uh, big wave boards for here. Who who shaped that board? Uh, it was like Mike Differenderfer. Was he um, on island building boards? He was. Okay. He would kind of go back and forth, That's but he thought. lived here too, and he would make boards. Him, Larry Strada and uh bob stay wolfman and then i i started getting interested in shaping and then wolfman or I, i'd go to wolfman and he'd go right you got to learn how to do this yourself because he was tired of everybody coming and hounding and making boards you know it kind of interrupts your life a little bit that's how my life is now i make boards and stuff but people come over and they disrupt my rhythm you know you just want to work and have someone else deal with all the 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 business end of it yeah you know so he actually taught me how to shape from I think that was about 72 73 he made me get a planer 
and then he showed me how to do certain stuff that you know you just remember and then you, you just carry it on through the rest of your life yeah yeah did you see it as a viable career path uh, fantasizes about it but basically made boards for myself and my friends yeah yeah um who's laminating uh bobby allen bobby allen would laminate for everybody for the guys all on the north shore yeah hmm. um it's funny that seems to be in nowadays almost no matter where i go in the world that seems to be one part of the board building process that nobody wants to get into you know like there's yeah. a ton of shapers coming up and they watch instagram and they want to be a shaper yeah but nobody wants to learn how to sand a board nobody wants to learn how to laminate a board nope. well there's uh i'd say what i always think of is there's no education for it oh okay there's no one's going to teach you but yourself unless someone some glasser guy will needs an, an assistant then he'll train the guy to do it but then that doesn't always work because it's such a weird tedious pro progress you know mm -hmm. that it's just uh, not really nice no you know it's technical and it's kind of dirty and it's Fumy. It's not glamorous, Fumy, you know? yeah. yeah. And you got to be a neat person with it. You can't be sloppy. You'll, right. you'll create a hazard. Right. You know, fire or just... You'll just kill yourself if you're not careful. But, for, <laughs> but if somebody was young and they want to get in the business, that's wide open path into the business, you know? Like there's people that looking is. for laminators everywhere. Well, right now I need a, I need laminator. We need... This island only has one laminator. Two laminators. Uh, Imua surfboards and... Lihui, and then there's one guy up here, John Delaney. He glasses. Then those are the only two laminators. Yeah. So I bring polyesters to them, maybe a epoxy or two, but I do a, all my own epoxy here. Oh, you do? Yeah. I know how to glass. I do it all. Yeah. But I prefer shaping and have glassers, you right. know. But when you run run into the dead end, you got to do it yourself. Right. You know. Yeah. Um. Talk me through. Once you get to the point where you're raising kids, seems like there's a lot of there's kind of economic limitations and even schooling limitations for raising kids on Kauai. I hear a lot of people expressing that. Yet you really raised a couple of super successful, professional, happy, healthy kids who also shred. So yeah, but their priorities are straight. So they're not just shredding all the time. You know, they're actually going and focusing on work. Half yeah. the time in California, half the time here. How yeah. did you pull that off? Uh, I think my wife is the main uh, driving force to that. Really? You know, yeah. She really looked after all that. I was more like, let her take care of the kids, run away and go surfing. Mm. You know, I was still doing my same thing. But I'd be around to help out and do stuff, you know, to raise a family. Um, Kanoa and Malia went to Kamehameha, which is a boarding school. So that also took the burden off of us trying to tell them what to do and discipline them, you know. Is it that made, on it made It made the relationship a little bit more... Uh, it took that off of our shoulders, me and my wife. And they got disciplined by the, the, the Kamehameha school, which, which has all the foundation of... They train you as you grow up, you know. 
clean your room, wash the dishes, sweep the floor. You had all your chores. We didn't have to, you know, tell them every day to do that. Those guys did that. And it was, uh, they were there five days or seven days a week at the boarding school until there were certain times they could come home. Is it on that, that was from uh, 7th grade till 12th grade. It's on Oahu, mm. Kamehameha School. It's all for Hawaiian-blooded uh, kids, family. Why was it important to you to send them there? Uh, better education? Better education. And then more like looked after as they're going to school. You know? And then my youngest son... He had his chance to go there, but he didn't want to go, and he stayed here. He stayed on Kauai. He still turned out pretty good, too. I mean, I was going to ask, is there a difference between them, the way that, based on the schooling? Yeah. My, the one, my son who stayed here, he's got a smart head, and, you know, and he's uh, focused on what he's doing. But then when it comes to the other stuff, like I said, cleaning your house and uh, doing all that chores and stuff. He's not trained that well for it. <laughs> Less disciplined? Kind of, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, the, the boarding school really drills drilled it into them. Yeah. Yeah, which is nice. Because I would... Uh, so the difference between that versus the public schooling is obviously cost. A lot of local families probably can't afford to do that. Mm. Yeah. The, the scholarship there, though, they take care of you a little bit. Oh, you can get a scholarship? Yeah. Is it academic? What do you mean? Do they, how do they allocate the scholarships? Is it based on your uh, grades? Just being like Hawaiian kids, you Oh, know? really? Yeah. Because the reason why I'm asking is um, there's a lot of local families where it seems like good, caring, loving parents, but the kids still get caught up in drugs and stuff yeah. like that. Well, yeah, that's another thing. The, the school won't accept you unless you pass their criteria. Gotcha. You know, so they screen every every kid that wants to go to that school. They want to make sure you're going to be focused and be able to focus on what you're, you know, being taught. Gotcha. And then there are some kids that pass the course to get in, but then they kind of get bad and they get caught doing something wrong, and then they just get kicked out. If it's zero tolerance, sometimes they just can't. They're not accepted back. Got it. So that's how they had it semi under control too, you know. And I'm sh I'm sure there was other kids that were doing not such as good things, you know, zero low tolerance stuff, but they were getting away with it and never got caught, you know. Right. Graduated. Sure. Yeah. Um, is there a uh, cultural education component to the Kamehameha schools, like mm. teaching about Hawaiian? Yeah, they teach them Hawaiian music. Oh, okay. I don't. There's there was a Hawaiian speaking class there. Okay. But there's not too much use of uh, learning how to speak Hawaiian. I mean, you know, better to learn Japanese or French or something, which they, they did teach, you know. I suppose that's absolutely true for, like, looking at your career path in the future, but there's, all, there's a lot of value in the kind of preserving the culture, you know, and understanding... Yeah, understanding the history and the legacy and being able to protect that and implement it as Kauai gets developed. As, 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 yeah. As yeah. time goes on, yeah. Yeah. But it's so it's just more of a history kind of thing yeah. for Hawaii, you know. Yeah. 
because you can't really speak Hawaiian to anybody and they just don't know what you're talking about you know it's a shame though it's a shame to lose some of that you know? mm, yeah I mean it got totally lost once the missionaries set their rules it was over right you know a lot a lot of population died too they, they you know well population dying and then also population being misplaced yeah. as like tourists are coming and buying up homes and property values and taxes are going up oh yeah they get unaffordable I mean they have Hawaiian homes for the Hawaiians too dollar a year but they have like little segregated areas where they can put Hawaiian homes you know, know build Hawaiian homes and live but that just gets smaller and smaller and event and again the culture kind of gets diluted along the way yeah and so it's kind of a yeah they, they get Hawaiian homes but it's just like they're just in some suburban neighborhood yeah there's no culture thing going on they're right. just the Hawaiians and like the Indians they have their you know wherever they the Americans put them to be or they wanted they're there and they still keep their culture within that tribe or that well wherever I don't know what you say where where they're they're located you know but it's isolated yeah. it's like sequestered off into its own little thing yeah but they're still real cultural I mean there there's still there's some cultural stuff going on here like Mauna Kea you know the Hawaiians over there are really standing up and showing that they're the Hawaiians you know it seems like, like they've had a lot of success with that too yeah but it's a it's a, it's a hard battle for them I'd say yeah you know um one thing I want to ask you about or learn about is surfing li into later in life how old are you I'm 65 now. Okay. Um, you just got back from Nazare? Yeah, Portugal. <laughs> you got Probably. back from Nazare in the biggest swell that we've seen right after? I guess it was the biggest swell, but you know, to us it just looked like a big swell at King's Reef out here. Really? Yeah. So tell me about that trip. That was obviously for listeners right after they ran the WSL event. You and Laird went over together and... Well, Laird, wanted, Laird actually went and planned that out in the summer. He went and got the uh, the infrastructure together over there. What is in that? In case we wanted to uh, go, like a place to stay, jet skis, um, a host, you know. And then the guy let us know when the swell was coming, when it was going to be a good week. And he said, okay, now's the time. You guys want to come, now's the time. You know. So then Laird's back and forth from here to California. So he was in California. And he told me, come on, let's go, let's go. And I, I'm not too keen on dropping everything and going halfway across the world for five days and then come home. Because I, I just know that's how, what he's going to do. But he kept telling me, no, we got to go. If it's all there, all you got to do is show up. We got a place to stay, jet skis, the swell's coming. The guy said it's going to be good. And then I said, okay, I'm coming. But then I had to travel by myself and meet him there. Had you ever been before? Never. Okay. And this was a real strange trip because I just had a carry-on with all my clothes. And I just brought my foil rig. And the foil board's only four or six. And then my, my foil packs all up all nice. So it's a pretty compact unit. So it's pretty easy with all that stuff. Tell me about the experience of surfing Nazare. Mm, that wave is kind of 
not a real ideal wave really you know but what we do we can catch the wave outside and ride it all the way before it breaks we can ride it to where it breaks and then get out of the wave and try to stay out of danger but you can never guarantee that you know you might run into some problems here but did, did you run into problems uh i cut i got cut my forehead on one day on what i don't know what i hit the i think the foil just grazed me something grazed me when i was going over the falls and um then another time i had a wave and we had a single going where the other guy was on the side waiting for the waiting his turn like a uh just a single guy on this jet ski and me and larry were towing and it was i was up so we told the guy okay if there's waves in the back raise your hand if there's no waves and it's good lower your hand like you know stay on the wave stay on the wave so then we looked at the guy who says stay on the wave stay on the wave so we i rode the wave okay it's good ride the wave all the way all the way i kick out and then there's this looming wall coming and i go oh okay you know focus here we go larry comes zooming in he picks me up i don't even wait for the handle i just let the rope rub in my hands and then pull up and go you know the longer you wait the sooner the thing comes so i tell him go and then we we start running and then it's approaching on my right and he's shooting across trying to get to the shoulder and i'm holding the thing the rope and then then another tow team, regular tow guys come like that, come from that side and whip the guy in and the guy's riding the wave and we're trying to outrun the wave parallel with the wave. So we're running, running, running and then the thing starts to close, starts to break and then he turned straight in towards shore and then right there I just said, I'm not staying on this thing. I don't want the white water to hit me while I'm on this thing. And then I just straighten off with him leaned over through the rope jumped off and then i watched the video i jump off the board shoots kind of like to my left in front of me because i jumped like this a shot to my left and then big splash and then you can see i get sucked up and then right there's one moment when i'm sucked up in the lip on the top under the curl of the top of the wave and i just go over and then the board is down there somewhere so then i i got you know, I missed the board by luck and then just tumbled, tumbled around for a while. And then, then another wave came, dove under that one. Then he came and got me and we got the board. And then that was like, oh, you know, I got away clean. I didn't get any, I didn't get killed there. Yeah. How big was the wave? <laughs> I seen some pictures of wave. Yeah. At least 15 foot. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of good size. On the inside though, not in front of the cliff, like more. No, we were, the swell was kind of west, so we're more up. That was the north, thing. north of the more north of the point. Yeah, yeah. So the west well, you would think it would the west well comes straight from the west where the sun's setting, and come into that point, but the west well comes so straight in it hits the top, and the top had rights coming down. On a north well, it comes down, down the coast, and then it dips into the canyon and then swings back up. It almost goes 180 degrees swing in. And then, it, then that's when that real Nazare uh, peak does its thing. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, you are. Are you glad that you did the five-day strike mission? <laughs> Would you do it again? I did. Um, that was once in a lifetime. I don't know if I'll ever do it again. But if the opportunity comes and he wants to go again, and I can think about it, and I could go again because I know what 
it's in store. Well, a lot of time I know Laird, he'll try it and then he'll decide if it's what we're looking for or not. You know, it was just something to like, okay, we're, we're good enough to go do this. Let's do this. And then we can see what we're, you know, if it's what we like. Yeah. And to do it over and over, I mean, it would have to get be better and better the way that the wave comes in in the end you said i mean at the beginning you said it's you surf big waves at king's reef yeah so in the end as you look back was it worth going is it better then is it is there any reason to leave Uh, home uh, well right then there was no waves here at home okay you know it looked like a dry spill so then let's go and then we went and then it was also it's like boom the amp the volume was turned up again here we are you know and the, the thing is we were able to do that we're we're we've trained and we've done it so much in big surf that when we went there it's like here we are you know let's just do what we do and then we just did what we did yeah you know and then we're so familiar on the foil it just doesn't really bother us right you know um but you are 65 yeah. And you're getting sucked over the falls on a 15-footer and hitting your head on the ski or on the foil. Something hit me when another wipeout I had. Right. So do you feel any limitation or concerns for your well-being? Or do you feel well-equipped? Um, um, that didn't scare me. Okay. It's on my mind, though, when I'm surfing. You know, like, oh, I hope that doesn't happen again. Like, I'm riding the wave. Okay, don't fall. Don't let that happen again. But like I said, the ocean is just so unpredictable. When you go out in any condition... You're gonna try your hardest for not let anything bad happen or the worst scenario. Yeah. But it may happen, and you better be prepared. And if it does, you can't just freak out or panic about it. It's happening, and you've your brain is ready for it. You yeah. Know what I mean, you're you're you know what your consequences are. I mean, if you if you were so scared and you knew the consequences, you wouldn't even want to go out. So my. Uh, thought is just try not to make any mistakes okay and try to do everything real clean and that's the whole idea of the foiling thing we can ride more waves um surfing you want to make all the waves you don't want to make i mean you don't want to wipe out at all you know it's just that's the whole mentality of it you want to catch wave the biggest wave the littlest wave whatever you just want to ride the thing and ride it all the way to the thing dies out and at the end and then go back out and do it again and do it as much times as you can till you're worn out yeah it's risk (laughs) risk mitigation i feel like as you get older even like if maybe your body is wearing out in certain ways you're less athletic you have better mental acuity and more life experience, more ocean experience. Yeah. So you're actually able to make more calculated decisions quicker, you know? Whereas when you're young, it's like, I'll just take off on a closeout. No big deal. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause one day I took my son Kiali, he went, oh, let's go out holiday. We, we tried to foil outside high end. It was like 60 feet and then we caught like two waves and then two rough and two gnarly. And then came back to Honolulu and then, whoa, all the waves are going off over here. They're just barreling, you know. And then, so then that evening, I take Kiali out. He wants to go on the jet ski. So I take him on his jet ski. I go, okay, you know the lineups. You know all the lineups. I go, the set's coming. Kings is feathering. And then I drop him off near the lineup. I go, okay, right by that 
we got like uh, 90 degree lineups, you know. He's, so he gets right there. I go, he's right there. And I go, the set's coming. And I see him take off. And he's just so hungry. He just wants the wave. He paddles, 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 paddles. And he can't. He's almost in. He's almost in. He's, he's in. And then right when he stood up, he's not in. And then he just jumps off the, the top of the wave all the way. And I, I was like, oh, my God. What did he just do? He wasn't supposed to do that, you know. Mm -hmm. And then uh, he just disappeared in the whitewater for a while. And the, the jet ski was crapping out, so I had to putt back to the the other jet ski guy and tell him, you know, go get Kiali because this jet ski's not running good. Then they went and got him, and the board was broken in half. And I was just shaking my head. I go, yes. that wasn't very textbook at all. No. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I go, I don't think I would do that, you know, but he's young. He's just, he can bounce back. I've done that kind of stuff already. I'm, I don't want to do that anymore, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> tell me about your introduction to the foil what was your first exposure to it and uh when was that mm, god this the foil was probably what year was that we still had the turtle probably like 98 97 so 20 years ago now yeah Laird just started figuring it out off of the sky ski chair and then he made it stand up and then he was telling us all like oh man this is you gotta learn how to do this you know and then he gave a, a, a rig to Titus. I know you guys know Titus. Yeah. yeah. He gave a rig to Titus, but then uh, Titus had to learn how. He needed someone to drive him, and we had to learn together. So then he, he had me go with him, and we both learned how to do it together. And from there, you know, we, we did that for the next couple of years off and on. So that was my introductory with Titus. What? Let's just pretend like listeners haven't actually seen it. What was the allure of the foil to you? What was the draw? Mm, the way it would just glide on the swell, like you know, if you ever see a seabird riding the top of the swell as it moves, that's what it's like. It's the same. Uh, I don't know. You see the bird fly across, and he's using the wind. The wind is on the opposite side of the water where the foil is. So the bird's above where you would be with the foil under the water. And it has a real uh, efficient flow and plane to it when you're, when you're moving. No, so, no uh, resistance at all. So just a whole different sensation than surfing. Yeah. Never well, heard. You're, you're surfing. I mean, you have to read the wave because if you don't, if you read the wave wrong, you're going to depower your, yourself on it. Right. You have to know how the wave moves and where to put yourself to keep the thing moving. I've only ever thought about the energy in the swell itself, uh, pushing the foil. I'd never heard anybody talk about the wind above the surface of the well, water underneath well, like, the board. Like I said, if if you look at a bird while he's on the crest of the wave or just little bit in front of the crest down almost dropping in down the wave you, you just imagine if he was under the water right below him instead of above the water that's how the foil is it's in the water using that energy right he's using the little the the way the wind comes up the face the foils under the water using the water that's being pushed up to you know right yeah um so what was those the early iterations of the foil 
what was that like and what are the improvements that you've made since then uh back then the foils were aluminum um wings they almost like were real prehistoric looking they were just like shovels we call them shovels because they were they're aluminum there was no flex in them and their design was fairly It was just for like getting pulled behind the boat, you know. So it's a different pull when you're getting pulled behind the boat on the, on those things. It's almost like trying to pull you down, and you're popping it up so it stays up. When you let go, let go, then it's just you're free, and it's just the wave energy making the thing go. But back then, those things were pretty. Uh, that was all we had, and they were like full aluminum. Right. Yeah, and then now. Or then we started changing the wings. They they were G10 wings, looked like the shape of a a, a, a half a moon. Mm -hmm. And then the tail wings. We started playing with the tail wings. We found these little bat wings that made the thing better than the older stuff. And then we started progressing from there. And then we started making the the fuselage longer, the airplane part of it longer for more stability. And then the height of the mast higher for more suspension because the ocean's not flat it's got warbles and you know three foot high chops and stuff so we ended up with 48 inch mass and 36 inch fuselages which is still higher than what they're riding now and then now we've got we're down to 36 inch mass with the uh, 28 inch fuselages and we're trying to get the guy to make them a little longer. Maybe make them 30, 32, and then maybe make the mast up to like 40. Just for more suspension. But we've gotten away from the uh, snowboard boots and the bindings. Right. We just use foot straps now. Right. That's important to detail for listeners that that's how it started. Yeah. With the boots. Yeah, we had boots like fixed on the board, strapped in. You could release them, but... It was even scarier, you know. You you'd break. You keep yourself way away from the wiping out by the wave, you know, as yeah. much as possible. Right. Right now, we kind of chance it. We kind of come around. You have foot straps. Anything happens, you can just jump off. Like I can't imagine what happened when I went to Nazare and that when we ran away from the wave and we're running away. If you had boots on, total nightmare. You'd break a leg, right? You could. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've had some wipeouts where I was. Well, I had one wipeout one time where. As I was wiping out, I had the boots on. As the wave was start ready to eat me up, I was, I was telling myself, oh, here we go, I'm gonna break my leg. But what happened was, I faded too much, then by the time I came around, the wave was moving down, and I, my brain went like, oh, I, I think I can make this, but, so I made another turn up to the top, and then when I, was on the top, I figured I could descend down with speed and come around and project out towards the shoulder more. So I went up to the top, and as I was starting to go down, the wave, I could feel the mass of the wave. The ocean was like bigger, it was like 20 foot that day or something. I could feel and see the wave move in a massive increment, like away down from me. And I was already descending. So then I, I go, oh, Oh, it's getting away, you know. I'm a little bit behind, but I'm going to try to go to the 
get all the speed down the hill and then make my turn and try to project down the line more because I was going down almost down to the bottom I could see down the down the line that the wave was starting to break right there I was just like oh I'm in trouble so instead of going across you just kind of go straight in as far in try to outrun the wave and sometimes below the wave there's a trough yeah not a flat part there's a little slope the white water goes like this and you can kind of get your foil right in that slope and it'll, it'll keep it'll keep going but this time the thing was kind of flat I went to the flat and I go oh you know and then I could hear the white water just roaring and I go oh here it comes and then it just went from behind me and then it went it shot in front of me like 25 30 yards in front of me just in front of me just Wah! and then I was going oh I'm gonna break my legs because they were all binded in so then I went down it tumbled then I the, the water crushed me bent me bent my rib uh, so I go oh my rib it goes uh and then that's the first point of impact boom and then I was right the next one I just started to rip rip me around and then I just felt the thing just come off both feet out and I just went like oh I'm free <clears throat> and then I just went for the full ragdoll tumble in the darkness <laughs> and then my rib hurt but my legs aren't broken right and when I was going down my brain was going I'm, I'm gonna break my legs I'm yeah. about to break my legs yeah because you don't know all it takes is one put to come out and the other the board stay on and just do <sighs> this so both boots came off like oh that's good you know we thought about it go i think it was like the there was so much water like a fire hose kind of thing all around you you just pulled the bindings we had little little uh, release handles we made we made with a, a a line and then we cover it with like a plastic tubing a small plastic tubing it's like a little loop on each side you can just pull them when you want to get out I think the white water and the turbulence just pulled them out, and okay. the, and the pressure of my feet pulling like this is just thankfully released. Oh yeah. You, <laughs> you've talked uh, about how the foil has changed over the years. Does the board itself ever change, or is that well, the same? The board actually was what were they? Ah, the boards were like five, four. Then, so that was pretty standard size for a while. And then, um, and then the, then we went to four ten. Balsa boards. Oh, I make balsa boards for them. Now, we like the more dense and heavier boards. Um, and then the 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 last few times with the booted rigs, we're on our our five O's, five four tens, and then we're like, I go, man, my board feels a little long. I think we should go shorter next time. So then we went to, I made Larry a 4.8 and I made myself a 4.6. And then that's where we're at now, 4.8, okay. 4.6. You know, guys are riding, nowadays the guys are riding 3.6s and stuff. But it seems like that size right now for us is pretty good. Okay. Yeah. Do you ever ride small waves on surfboards? Yeah. I mean, okay. I go surfing. It's all part of the training. And Do you? Then, you know. Um, I'm interested. I see a lot of your large paddleboard guns, large yeah. wave kind of bigger guns. I was at Hackman's the other day, and he had a brand new oh, one yeah, that he had he a had waxed a big up. Gun. Yeah, I made him. Um, 
where do you see the biggest improvement or the biggest potential for improving board design for those types of boards? Because for so many years, nothing has changed, I feel. Like you see big wave paddle surfing, guys drop in, do a bottom turn, maybe try to get barreled and then kick out. It seems like there's a lot of potential room for improvement, especially when you see like Kai Lenny getting towed in and doing actual turns and trying airs and stuff. Is there room for improvement in the big wave paddle gun? Uh, I think the big wave paddle guns are capped off you at think? the moment. Yeah, there's not much you can do. And a lot of the time, the bigger the waves and the faster you go, you just want to eliminate volume on your, your equipment to be able to go faster and deal with the speed and have more maneuverability. The big boards are just big old boards. And it's been like that, like you said, since the 1960s, you know. When, when the waves get big, they're they're riding 40-pound boards. Even now at Jaws, those boards are, like, heavy, you know, those guns. I feel like guys want to do turns, and they have the ability to do them. It's just the boards are what's limiting them. Yeah, but if you watch the guys surf the, the big guns at Jaws, that's all they can do. And they're doing pretty damn good because right. before time, you wouldn't think of doing that. Right. But then you watch Kailani on the tow board, and then you just go, "Yeah, that's how the, that's how you want to surf those big waves." You know, he comes from way back, and just he can just go up to the top and do like just a sharp turn and bank off the top. And there's just the board's small; it's like he's snowboarding down a mountain or something. Exactly. You know, that's why I'm thinking that they're surfers have the ability to do it. The board, the design, is what's limiting them. You well, know? yeah. Well, the, you have to have that board to paddle and move. Otherwise, you can't move. Right. So that's that's the difference here. You Just can't eliminate that from the, the the design. You know. Otherwise, you're gonna not catch waves. You're not gonna move around that well on mat on your arms. You know, paddling. What do you What do you ride in big surf for paddling I, boards? I ride a ten four balsa gun. Balsa. Yeah. Why? Why balsa? Uh, the balsa, for me, it it's a better core for uh, dealing with all the chop and the wind and stuff. And the board weighs weighs some weight. There's no flex in balsa as it goes down or into the chop. And, it, and once that thing picks up momentum, it just it's just smooth, you know, smoother as you can get it. Mm -hmm. But it's still a big board. I still have to deal with it like it's a big board. So more like uh, tracks better, but it also absorbs some of the the the, the bumps. upcoming chops. Yeah, gotcha. you're going to it eats them up more than foam. Gotcha. Something about you know how it it hits the the, the, the wood. It's just more dense. Like foam has a hollow, it kind of soft, and it pushes it back. The wood doesn't get pushed back. It just penetrates. Gotcha. Who that's why get? that's why we don't understand why they don't ride. Well, we understand, but. They should be riding balsa boards at Piaai too, you know. Yeah, it would it would help. But if you wipe out, you're gonna lose it, and it'll just get destroyed on the rocks. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's the fin setup? What's your preferred fin setup? Uh, mine's three plus or yeah, three fin, two plus one. Bigger center fin? Uh, no, same size. They're like four and a half. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, you've been surfing Hanalei for a long time and in all conditions 
pretty much. What's the best surfing that you've ever seen out there? Uh, well, the best surfing I seen was in the seventies, when when it was when the Princeville Hotel St. Regis wasn't there. Um, the swells were different back then. Oh, really? Yeah, the swells, the jet stream was different. Hmm. Storms were different com uh, compared to today nowadays. But that was some of the best Hanley I've seen. I think when they made uh, Five Summer Stories, mm -hmm. the movie, Hanley was unbelievable. It was like perfect, you know. Really? Yeah, and now I think what happens is storms never come from the same location in the ocean. They're, they're always a little off, you know. And then back then there was a line, like right now there's a, a jet stream run from Japan to the illusions kind of Japan to Oregon run straight across before it would run from the Oshkosh Sea Siberia almost and come down towards Hawaii and make a big turn right before it got to Hawaii the jet stream would make a turn up back up towards California so all the storms would ride from uh, what angle would that be uh, like a 300 and 40 degree you know it would come like this it wouldn't come like now it's coming from the left to the right before it would come from the the top of us towards us and then turn away so the swells had more power in a different direction then that's what it seems like to me because all the spots now every year you go to them they just seem different it just doesn't seem like how, how it was before do you have any idea what's responsible for that uh, I think just that's nature too it just never it never repeats itself too much you know what I mean or it could be cyclical like it'll come back to that way in a hundred years it, or a thousand years yeah or maybe because right now the jet stream it, it shoots across from Japan up to Oregon and then it dips down into the mid US and then it, as it crosses over to the East Coast it goes up you know on the coast mm -hmm. and then it goes across to Europe Who's Dips back down of that year this uh, year. Who is the best surfing that you've ever witnessed out there at Hanalei over all the decades? Who's done the best surfing? Uh, back in the day, it was like Jimmy Lucas was pretty solid out there, yeah. Um, Titus would charge too. But Lucas was like the real, like you watch the guy surf and he's just like, oh, how did the guy do that, you know? Really? Yeah. It's um, a good call. And then the guy who t who took us out there, Tommy Chamberlain, he used to surf it pretty um, effortlessly. Yeah, yeah. That's a big call. When you those guys, I mean, when That's you've you've witnessed the Irons Brothers, you've witnessed Laird a ton, and those are the guys. Well, those were the guys I probably got influenced by, and then everybody else was we were on the same looking to them, you know. Yeah, totally. That's awesome. Um, in regard to health and fitness, let's give advice to people for how to surf into your 60s at the level that you're surfing at, which is as high as it's ever been, I, I would imagine. Um, what do you do? What's your morning routine like? What do you put in your body? Um, well, first off, my lifestyle's allowed me to be free where I'm never tied down 
and like how, how I said how my my um, mentality is if the surf's good I would rather do that than go to work and then in order to be that way you have to be physically mentally ready to do that so I just keep myself physically and mentally ready to do that and go through the consequences of of it you know like the worst and the good stuff but my lifestyle has allowed me to just surf more than your normal person all the way up to my age now because I can just go when I want and I, I, I want to do it I want to go surfing you know and then like in the morning I get up nowadays I get up in the morning I'm lying in bed okay I'm gonna get up it's five o'clock in the morning and I do a certain amount of stretches right off right off the bat right before I get out of bed before you get out of bed I'm lying in bed I throw the covers off and then I lie on the thing on my back and I stretch my back like I dig my heels in dig my back on my head and arch my back and pull it you know what I mean and then like lift your hips up off the bed yeah because your muscles are all just rested they just mm -hmm. be dormant so they could either lock up be tweaked a little bit kind of want to wake them up and then uh then i do some other one where i lift my leg up point my heels to the ceiling one leg up to the ceiling and cross it over stretch my, my back, both sides my other leg same thing point my heel up to this stretch all my hamstring and cross over and then i'll cross my leg put one knee behind my ankle and push my uh, push with my knee and push you know these are like basic stretches yeah yeah and then I put my two feet together and then sh stretch out my knees out all all like dun, 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 all one one right after the other it just takes a few minutes okay. a minute or two not a whole you know not even two minutes okay and I cross my legs pull my knees up towards my chest stretch all my lower back because now that I'm older my lower back is really tight from all the use is probably degenerated spine and stuff so it aches and stuff after a while but that feels like I keep it pretty um, stretched you know it's, it's, it, it can't it can't what do you call it, contract on me I don't want it to contract on me I want it to be stretched you know so that helps and then I'll uh, have a bowl of oatmeal I eat oatmeal that first thing right in the morning that's good for uh, my digestion and stuff and or a smoothie but certain days I'll just have a smoothie with raw oatmeal and I eat a lot of lunchtime and dinner have uh, a lot of salad and then fish rice some taro pretty basic diet I mean fish and rice protein and rice and salad a lot of salad you know do you avoid sugar uh not i don't avoid it but i don't i don't have i don't use white sugar in any of my uh tea or anything like that i don't drink coffee now um i'll eat candy you know if it's around yeah uh why do you avoid or why don't you drink coffee anymore uh, i had a problem with um i had vertigo for one season i had vertigo and then, then I, I had to go get it diagnosed and then they told me stay off of salty stuff 
don't drink coffee, don't drink alcohol, change your diet. Um, that'll affect my ear. Certain stuff will affect my ear, like salty stuff. It, it makes like fluid in your in your inner part. You know. Interesting. Yeah. And that cleared it up. And then they said coffee too, no caffeine. Well, they cleared up, but now I have uh, only like forty percent hearing in one ear because it it led to that somehow. Some people have different um, symptoms, but mine led to that because it was this my left ear. It would do something weird, like it would feel like it's getting clogged up, and then it would be clogged up, clogged up, and then all of a sudden I get a episode of vertigo, and I have to ride that out for like an hour to three hours and then it would go away and my ear would clear up then I'd be oh, alright then life's normal and then continue doing what you know drink coffee drink a wine drink whatever they said not to drink or eat and then it would come back again mm. it kept coming back like that till I just got sick of being that way seasick you know um, was the fluid on the ear because of all the time in the water it might be because because before it did happen i had I, uh, had a white bottle at Honolulu on my foil a leaf broke and foil it goes against the current it likes to just move into the current and move so the thing was just getting away from me and i was swimming in it was i was in the, the normal salt water swimming in swimming in and all of a sudden i hit the river water Honolulu river water and I'm swimming in swimming in i i, I could taste <coughs> the fresh water, uh, the fresh water. I told myself, oh, man, you're gonna get sick," because I was swimming. I was full on swimming. It wasn't like just breaststroking. I was head down, just <coughs> you know, breathing. And I could, I just told myself I was gonna sick, get sick. And two weeks later, I, I got this thing in my ears. Almost like an infection that just left a scar in there or something. Yeah, scarred my sensory things in there. Yeah. And then now when I wipe out, I feel the water kind of inside there. You right. know, it goes in your nasal and it goes in your ear and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. In term, in regard to diet, um, what's your policy with red meat? Do you eat it? Do you avoid it? Uh, I eat red meat. Okay. But not every time. Okay. Um, I was diagnosed as a type A, which is not compatible with red meat too uh, much. I think B is like, you know... Your, your diet you can have more red meat is that the eating for your blood type thing so or what do you mean well, that's what I've heard okay that's what the guy uh, actually uh, Dilberg you know I went to him and that's what he you know, oh you're type A you're uh, you're you're you know you don't eat that much meat type A's don't eat that much meat type okay. B is a meat meat eater type type A is more like not too much more vegetables you know gotcha but I uh, even before that, if I ate too much meat, my stomach wouldn't handle, couldn't handle. It was too much for my digestion. Gotcha. So what we do is we just eat a lot of fish because we go fishing, and that seems to be all right, the fish. What about dairy? Do you eat dairy? Uh, not too much. Maybe some yogurt once in a while. I put a uh, maybe a quarter cup of, maybe up to half a cup, quarter cup of milk in my smoothie. Uh, actual cow's milk, carton milk, yeah, yeah. cow's milk. Yeah. yeah. Um, what about what do you do in terms of physical exercise other than 
being in the water do you do any cardio or weightlifting? Uh, or? no just when I go surfing I make sure I go hard you know and then if I lose my board I'll swim I won't just uh, just float in I'll just go hard you know until I'm breathing hard and I go oh man it got me breathing hard you know almost like so, you're doing it intentionally just to get the heart going yeah yeah that's why I go in the morning if I if I go every morning then I'm pretty you know I'll be able to do that if I go if you go surfing every morning I know I'll be able to go out and surf the, the waves with Laird and stuff you know Laird he trains different totally yeah he trains like he's a I don't know he just that's just what he does he's a, <laughs> the guy's a freak yeah his level of kind of tenacity and desire for it is different than anybody I've ever seen. Yeah, he's prepared for the worst, worst situation, you know. But but I, I go with him. He'll kind of cross over those lines, but he doesn't get too trashed. He doesn't want to go to Jaws or pull in the barrel and get eaten and, you know, mm -hmm. do that kind of stuff. He just wants to be physically fit to be able to endure what we're doing for a long time, you know. So then... When I go with him, I keep up with him. And he knows I'm older than him, so I'll get tired sooner than him. Right. But then I'll push it a little bit, you know? Yeah. Which, you know, I can endure it. Um, you said, like, you just want to surf all the time, and so a lot of your maintenance is to ensure that you can continue getting up every morning and surfing. I think a lot of people listening have goals that they want, but they are their own worst enemy and they yeah. get in the way of their goals. Yeah. And so they'll self-sabotage unknowingly. And I, I know I certainly do that. How have you kept your mental kind of focus? Have you stayed on, on task? Do you meditate? Like what uh, is... No, I just think about it. I go, you know, and then if you go surfing and you haven't kept up your physical fitness for it, you'll feel it. You're not gonna last as long, you know. I know. And if the surf's really good, it's it's. You don't want to just surf for an hour. You want to surf for three hours and get your quota waves, and then you're satisfied. So, basically, I, I like to just make sure I'm able I'm able to endure for you know two to three hours. Yeah, I like to as well. But then last night at dinner, I wanted a glass of wine, you know. <laughs> Yeah. And it subverts my own best interest. Well, yeah. Well, I had these two guys from Germany here. They're the guys fixing my CNC, and uh, yeah, those guys drank a lot. And then all of a sudden, I was, you know, here I have some wine, and I drank a couple glasses of wine a couple nights in a row, and then I woke up in the morning not feeling very good. Yeah. You know, and I go, oh, but I had to stay home because they were here only for how long, however long they were here for. So I wouldn't go surfing. I go, okay, I'm gonna get on their level you know be all groggy in the morning I'm not gonna go surfing and then snap out of it and go out there and work and then he was actually teaching me how to operate the computer and all the all the computer stuff you know so I had to it's almost like going to school you know mm -hmm. yeah and then the surf was up and I go oh, I just missed all the surf but this is more important to me now you know, at the and, then, and then now they left. I just went. Like, I'm getting up in the morning. I'm going surfing. Then I went this morning, Good. and I felt a little sluggish this morning because I didn't go for a couple days. Right. You know, but I still. I, I I went foiling, 
And I go, ah, I felt kind of weird today, but then I thought about it. I go, I didn't crash once. Okay, good. You know, so I go, oh, I guess I'm doing all right, but my inner self didn't feel like I felt like I was just really doing good, you know, felt really good about it. I didn't feel that good about it, but at the same time, I didn't wipe out or do one of those. I don't know if you ever see the guys on the phone, they go, 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 and it pops up and then you fall. Yep. Yeah, that's a common thing. That's just the nature of foiling. So I thought about it. I go, well, I didn't do any of those today, so I must have been doing pretty good. Good. <laughs> good. Um, final question is, how do you feel about Kauai for the next generation? Presuming you're going to have grandkids that will want to maybe inherit this property or they do inherit this property, do you feel optimistic about the future of Kauai in terms of politically and the way that um, – outsiders are coming out and buying up property and all that sort of stuff how do you feel about the future of Kauai? Um, I'm kind of not worried about it because we got our property here good and it's part of our I'll never sell it's already gonna be handed down to my uh, siblings you know my three kids and Kano's gonna build his house at the edge of the property there and whatever happens around is just happening you can't prevent anything from happening you know the um, the way people want to come here and live. If they can come here and live, fine. I mean, it's, it's definitely not going to be like how it was in the 70s when I got here. Right. You know, so I figured I got it while it was like that. Just appreciate it. And then there's no turning back now. Just let things happen. I've only got a few more years to live. And I could have died in Portugal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I came out unscathed. Got oh, I got, I, got a, I got a scratch. Oh, that's true. Not unscathed, but the tablecloth is a nice relic reminder. Yeah, of your I had to buy souvenirs. Totally. You know, I may go back one of these days. You never know, because Larry, he likes to, he'll push me. You know. Yeah. And then if he, and if I do go with them, I better be in shape for it. You know. Yeah, for sure. Otherwise, you're just gonna go for a little bit, and then ah, and then after a while, he's not gonna even ask you to go. Right. You know. I'm. I mean. You have everything you need here, but is there anywhere else that you'd want to go? Any, either surf spots or travel spots that you would want to go? Well, I always like to go travel somewhere, you know, surf somewhere different. What's on the top of your list? Uh, well, those guys are all going to Numbrella. I'd like to see what that's like because I've never been there, you know. That last while we were in um, Portugal, Morocco was good. You know, and I, I like to catch the wave and get barreled, too. Awesome. And then the foiling is like, people criticize it, like, ah, you're just running from the wave, you guys look like, you know. But then it's like, well, if you were to try to do what we're doing, you would probably be way over outrunning the wave or not even be able to drop down the wave. Yeah. So, yeah. But there's a certain way of going about the foiling in big waves. You don't just commit to getting picked off you know like surfing they, they always just it's almost like playing with the bull with the cage you know they, they kind of fade down to the lips there and then they go like this yeah. and then sometimes they make it or sometimes they don't you know yeah we just want to make it so if you look at us surfing the wave we're more in the safe part of the way but you can bite off all you want this way but you better be careful because you're gonna something's gonna happen if you're not careful i mean do you think it'll ever get to the point where guys are getting barreled on foils? yeah I mean, we almost kind of get semi-barreled when we go at Hyena. We do stuff like we just go like, you come around and you're right up in the pocket and the thing's just throwing, but you're not deep in it. But 
little pocket rag. You're, you're gonna, uh, you know, one day you're gonna draw back a little bit and come around and you're gonna be two back and then you're gonna have to just either pull in it and try to thread it or just bail off. Right. And that's the thing about now we have foot straps. We can stay by the, the curl a little bit more comfortable now without with without the boots. Be able to eject when needed. Yeah. But yeah. still that's dangerous too. Totally. You know? Going over the falls with that thing, even oh, if yeah. it's not on your feet, it's still well, I, I said if if I did go where the detonation of impact was and the thing hit me, uh, split your head open like a coconut. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I always think of that, I go, oh, this is dangerous, you know, it's scary. And then when I'm on the wave, I'm thinking about it, but if you fall, then it's in God's hands almost. Might be wise to start wearing a helmet, especially if you're gonna try to get closer to the barrel like that. Yeah, that's the first time I ever got. Right, it's a good warning sign though. <laughs> All right, Terry, thank you so much. Sure, appreciate it. Impressive imagery of Terry surfing is available for your viewing on surfsplendorpodcast.com, where there's a comment section for you to leave a message for Terry. His board label, by the way, is Papa Heinalu, and I'll also link to that on our Instagram at surfsplendor. That's also a great place for you to share this show with friends. Just tag them or send them this post. We don't advertise in any way, so our growth over the past seven years has been solely the result of word of mouth, or maybe perhaps Apple and Instagrams pushing us to the top of their algorithms based on who they think would want to listen to these conversations, which reminds me, it's also hugely helpful. Uh, It helps strangers find us when you rate and review this show in Apple Podcasts or whatever app you use. You may think that that's redundant because there's already a lot of positive reviews there, but here is the most recent one from somebody who calls themselves FLNSB. They titled their review Jeff Hackman, and they said, quote, very sad to hear someone brag about how they dodged the draft. Everyone has their own opinions about the war, but to brag about pretending to be gay, what a sad individual, end quote. They rated our show, including the entire body of our work, as one star. So yes, everyone certainly does have their own opinions. And often, opinions are formed by a complete misinterpretation of the information that someone heard. So, I'd hate for a potential new listener to miss Hackman's story, or Terry's, or any of our 323 past episodes because of one person's inability to identify a vulnerable admission and mislabel it as bragging. So, app reviews are an aggregate of averages, so if you are at all inclined, please rate and review our show based on your own opinion, and that'll help strangers find it. Thank you. Shortly after I finished this conversation with Terry Chung, I swung into Kauai Jusco 
then rushed over to Billy Hamilton's Shaping Bay, and I will bring you that conversation over the next two Wednesdays. It's a wonderful way to close out this series. He is truly epic. I also had a really good time with Scott Bass on Tuesday on Spit, so go grab that episode now. We're doing it weekly. And then Chaz and I are welcoming Devin Howard back on The Grit on Friday, so you can look forward to that. I hope that you are healthy, well, and employed as we hopefully wind our way out of this COVID crisis. Beaches are opening, so hopefully you're surfing. And finally, this is David Scales for Surf Splendor reminding you to stay six feet apart from everyone, get back into the sun and sea, share some waves, and of course, shred on. Everything's perfect.